you're on a hot date with Jennifer Golden and Lauren Leonelli. And now, it's complicated. Hello, Master Daters. Welcome back for another episode of It's Complicated. The struggle is real when you're dating in the city. I'm Jen. And I am not Jen. So you know how you text your friends and ask them like what to wear on the first date, how to respond to a text from your crush, or to weigh in on whether you should post a certain pic on the socials? That is what we call your village, and we think you can't date or relate without them. Join our village because we're serving you expert guests who are filled with tips and tricks that will take some of the guessing out of the game. Make sure you subscribe and share our pod with your friends so we can help the village grow even bigger. And you can find us at It's Complicated Podcast wherever you get your pods. And don't forget to tell a friend. Okay, so adult traumas. There's all types of traumas, but the adult ones for me are based often in memories or when they're currently happening, breakups. It's just a really traumatizing situation for me personally. And I know a lot of people have a hard time with it, but for me, it just feels like they affect me so deeply. And I really, it takes me forever to heal. And I always question like, is there something wrong with me? But like, it really is just so devastating. And then if I know a friend is going through a breakup, I'm like, oh, I just feel so empathetic. Like I hate knowing that they're going through that, even though they may not be taking it as hard as I normally do. But for me, it's like a traumatic experience, right? It feels like this person that you're so close with, closer than anybody in your life, physically and emotionally. And then all of a sudden, it's just done, gone, like a death. And I really don't think breakups work any other way. I think you have to really cut it off and be kind of black and white, at least in the beginning. So it does, it feels like, this person is just gone. And then I I personally start blaming myself. So like now I'm dealing with this loss and then I'm blaming myself. Like I'm not good enough or I'm not pretty enough or I'm not this enough. And that's why we broke up and I'm never going to find somebody to love me. And then, and then you have to worry about going on social media in these present times and dealing with like seeing who you're is are they going out and having fun who's that girl in the background then you see the new girlfriend and she oh she's way prettier or she's way more successful or she's way more this it it's just like all of it is so overwhelming and it's all such a hard thing for me to process it's just so traumatic and I hate it and it's not my jam I am with you on it not being my jam either. I still am pretty, I think, traumatized by certain relationships I was in that were really toxic and dramatic and painful. The ones that obviously ended on a good note or just mutually ended because we decided to, what is it, irreconcilable differences or consciously uncoupling. We consciously uncoupled, so it was fine. And my consciousness was like, well, this makes sense. But when it's the ones that really hurt your heart and you can't find rhyme or reason for why two people are incompatible or why someone would hurt you when, to your point, they are so close to you or whatever the case may be, those are, they're called traumas because they're traumatic. They're not called traumas because they're like a walk in the park. So Those are really hard. And I think, you know, you and I personally do a good job of trying to understand what it is and throw ourselves into therapy or self-help or whatever the case may be, or listen to our own podcast or interview somebody that might help us with these issues that it's not easy to get over. And they do trigger you later in life if probably not properly dealt with, but even when they are, because like I've dealt with all of my breakups and I'm still triggered by my ex-boyfriends because they hurt me. It's not like, I can say it never happened because the memory and my memory is pretty damn good remembers how something felt. And I think knowing how hurt feels 
is a blessing and a curse because you know you how it learn. feels. You can learn, you can prep for it. Maybe you know how to bounce back because you've done it before, but at the same time, you know how much it's going to hurt. So like, I know you always say that you have like anticipatory anxiety because you know how something's going to feel. So if you didn't, you probably wouldn't have the anxiety because you'd be like, I don't know that it's going to hurt. It'll be fine. Love this. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. And you bring up a great point. And I probably shouldn't do that. Not every breakup is going to be the same. I mean, there has been breakups where like it was my choice and it was less hard. And you're also right about the thinking about past relationships is not just the breakup that's traumatic. Sometimes the actual relationship is traumatic too. Yeah. So traumatic. I mean, I just don't even, I I know that, that you're supposed to heal yourself. I understand that. And then you're supposed to do that obviously so that when you have a next relationship, you don't take out all the triggers on that person or you're, you don't blame them for triggering you. Cause like, they don't know they weren't there for that relationship and you can obviously communicate it, but unless somebody was there, it's hard for them to know what's going to set you off. I mean, I'm so triggered by all of mine that the minute I see it in any sign of a new relationship, I'm like, ah, gotta go hit eject immediately. And then on top of that, I'm like, obviously triggered by things surrounding my father passing and just all of the things. I, I think you build up so many triggers and traumas in your lifetime that then you spend the rest of your lifetime resolving your traumas and trying not to harm other people that get in the path of what you're dealing with. Yeah, exactly. You just, you really, you know, I think you kind of wonder sometimes if maybe you need to find somebody who has gone through similar things so that you can like, have a successful relationship almost like share the same traumas. Uh, Yeah, that probably makes a lot of sense. I did go on a date recently with a guy who had a lot going for him, super interesting guy. And then all of a sudden we got into the subject, I guess, of parents, because how can you avoid that when you're on a date? You know, where are you from? Oh, do your parents still live there? Or, you know, oh, is everyone in Miami? Uh, no, just one parent. Oh, where's your dad? Well, he's in the sky. Um, so I think those conversations obviously are unavoidable. And so we happened to broach the subject. And I said about my dad and then his response was actually, I lost my dad three years ago due to cancer. And I was like, wow. Oh my goodness. He actually teared up while I was talking. And I was like, Oh my God, this is the second date I've ever been on where a guy has cried in response. I'm not even crying, but this is sweet. Yeah. That's it's. I think I triggered him though. Yeah. Yeah. And so he was triggered, but in a positive way because then he could open up and it's, we've talked about this before that it's really hard to talk about something no one else has experienced in this, like that, that's as heavy as death. Obviously everyone's gone through a breakup, but breakups are even different. Not everyone's experienced being cheated on. Not everyone's experienced abuse of any kind or who knows, but death and even deaths are different. So it's just the fact that we even had that in common while it's sad to have anyone in that same camp, it's nice to be able to open up and talk about the thing that's really hard. Yeah, I agree. And it's also always nice to try to do some healing on your own and reach out for help from friends or experts. And this is great because today we have an expert in this area. She is Jessica Zimmerman. Is She's an entrepreneur, educator, and published author. She's been recognized as a top wedding planner by Southern Living Magazine and bestselling author by USA Today and the Wall Street Journal for her debut book, Sleeping with a Stranger. 
when Jessica survived a childhood car crash that took the life of her only sister. She knew even then at just three years old, she couldn't waste her life and she wanted to spend every second possible with the people she loved most. After meeting her husband at the University of Arkansas, she returned to her hometown to build a successful wedding floral design business called Zimmerman Events, which eventually grew alongside her three young children. When her husband fell tragically ill, Jessica realized that she had to begin earning more than just fun money and support her family of five, all while caring for an ailing husband and newborn twins. After bad business practices left her nearly bankrupt in 2014, she became determined to eventually turn a small floral business into a seven-figure empire. Damn. It took a wake-up call, business rebrand, and a $100,000 business loan, but she finally created the business that could support the life she always wanted. Her first book, Sleeping with a Stranger, is a searing, honest, and hilarious memoir about learning how to love even in the darkest of moments and how to find yourself when the compass is lost. Bucking up against old ideas and even older Southern traditions, Jessica's story is also a rallying cry for women to come to terms with their trauma and find healing. Today, Jessica teaches her students and followers how to set healthy business boundaries, invest in themselves, and create businesses and lives they love. Her work has been featured in publications including People, Business Insider, Entrepreneur, and Forbes. She continues to share her message and expertise through online course offerings. Jessica currently resides in Nashville, Tennessee with her husband, Brian, and their three children, Stella, Perry, and Zeke. She'll help you redefine your self-image and your relationship, and then she'll decorate your wedding with fab florals. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Ah, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We love a true story. Tell us about Sleeping with a Stranger and the meaning behind the title. So Sleeping with a Stranger is, it's my own memoir. It is deeply personal and vulnerable. It's about what to do when the compass is lost. My husband, he contracted an illness that it was just this mysterious illness that we could not diagnose. And it really changed the trajectory of our lives. And so what I love about this book is it really is a story about flipping the script, about reclaiming our lives, that we can reclaim them at any time, really. And it's it's really a story about healing. And I think it's quite funny, too. I mean, there's a lot of <laughs> serious stuff just because you're dealing with, um, you know, caretaking at such a young age and all of that. But But it's also quite humorous as well. Okay, so we have to ask, because this is so involved with your husband and, and the love story behind that, how did you meet your husband? So we met freshman year of college. I mean, we oh, have been together wow. since we were 18, which is a little crazy. That's a hard time to meet somebody because, I mean, it's like kind of yeah. what you, you want to, <laughs> like, oh, you want to meet a cute boy in college maybe or a cute girl or whatever your preference is, but... Then you're going through college when people are like having fun and dating all around and do whatever, and you're like in a relationship. So how was that? You guys just like, I mean, that's a long time to be together. It's such a long time to be together. And it is, it's, you know, I grew up in the South and it's very, um, that, that's one of the things that I have really broken, broken free from is this thought of, Kind of, I, be, I I say in the book that we're all kind of born with these scripts of like, this is how you're expected to behave and this is what we expect you to do and this is what we expect you to say. And we all kind of just go along with the script for a while. At least I definitely did living in the South. And it was, you know, you go to school, you go to high school, then you go to college and you meet somebody there and you marry them and then you have babies, you know, all these things. And 
you just kind of do it because you think that's what you're supposed to do. You think that's the next thing. And I, you know, it's just so interesting because I look at so many things now and go, I mean, the fact that anyone at 18 is asked to like choose a major, you know, to choose what they want to do with their life is just insane. So yeah, I mean, that's just, it was kind of the Southern culture when I was growing up and, and luckily we're, you know, we're slowly starting to get away from it. Wow. You know what? This actually reminds me of um, my unorthodox life on Netflix. I don't know if you've watched that, but it's really similar in terms of breaking away from a community that you've grown up with, that you've you know, been so familiar and entangled with your whole life that, you know, you pivot and lead this other version of a life that's more true to yourself. So Mm. if anyone hasn't seen that yet, you should watch it. It's really interesting. It's um, like a fish out of water story. It happens to be about a Jewish woman who left the Orthodox religion and peeled her family out of it as well and what that process looks like. So I think a lot of people can probably identify with growing up in a certain community or culture and not feeling like it it was a good fit and wanting to break free of those norms. But your story sounds so similar. And I mean, I think we know about the South and I mean, I think of like debutante balls and all the things that are in my heart so romantic, but in my head, I'm like, hello, we need to modernize here because I think things don't work that way anymore. (laughs) So it sounds like you had to really do some digging personally to realize that you were not alike the people yes. that you probably grew up with. Oh, absolutely. I well, my husband got really ill and when he was physically ill, we were just trying to, you know, do everything we could to get him better. I have some abandonment issues. I I when I was really young, I was in a car accident and I survived, but my sister died. So, you know, I've already you know, lived my life being this, this kind of single child, not knowing how to be the child of parents really. And now it's, I was scared to death that he was going to die. And now I'm going to be this single parent, not knowing how to parent children. Does that make sense? Like, yes. um, And so there was, there was just this terrifying abandonment, um, you know, in fear And so I worked so, so hard to try to, you know, get all the best doctors and everything so we could figure out what was wrong with him. Well, we finally, you know, were able to heal him physically, but he had lost about two years of his life and um, just being like in a bed. And so once you kind of start to feel better from that, mentally, you, you no longer feel well. And so for the first time ever, there's this man that I've always only known as really upbeat and positive. And then we had those two years of him being sick and now he's depressed. Like now he realizes what has happened to the full degree and he is mentally ill. And I just was exhausted. And I, you know, we just had a period of time where we didn't sleep in the same room for over a year. And during that time, I just would wake up in the morning and just meditate and just, I mean, as hard as it was at first, cause I am like a go, go, go kind of person, but I would just make myself sit there for five minutes and just be, be completely still and quiet. And eventually this kind of knowing shows up, right? This kind of voice within that really is the truth. Like everyone has it. Everyone has that true voice inside, but we spend a lifetime, you know, allowing the world and our family and our fear to, you know, cover it up. And I just think that sometimes it takes these really dark times 
to get really still so that that light inside of you can start to show again. I think people can relate to that in like very specific art. You know, we talk about a lot about dating and relationships on the show, but there's so many other offshoot topics here. But I think in dating and relationships, you can get really like overwhelmed by the speed of things or by maybe the lack of speed of things. And so you're, you know, you get to the moment in dating where you're just like ready to give up, or maybe you feel like you don't fit in and then you have to like, try to take a breath, mm-hmm. take a second, like recenter yourself. So like that kind of works for anything really when you're feeling like lost or out of control or like you just don't know which way is up anymore. You just take a breath and sort of get back to yourself. I think it is a good and nice thing to always check in to do even when because it's hard for me too. you're speaking to me when you're saying like, I'm a go, go, go person. Like, I don't feel like I mean, of course, I have five minutes to meditate, but I don't feel like I do. Sure. I'm just like, totally. I don't have time to do that. Ugh. You know, <laughs> but you you should and it, it helps you find that inner voice. And especially when there's like a big shift in your life, like you, you know, were from this certain type of background with these certain ideals. And then you were like suddenly the sole provider for your relationship. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we talk a lot about that here on It's Complicated, like how, you know, men have this weird thing in their mind that they can't settle down until they're like financially stable. And that's not really that, that women don't feel that way. And so we talk a lot about how women can feel that way. Like that shouldn't be the societal norm. Like I bet you women feel that way too. Like they want to be strong in their careers and, you know, get that all set before they can jump into a relationship too. It's not just like a man's train of thought. So when you were feeling these things, like when you became the sole provider for your relationship and that shift happened, like, you were saying like maybe the meditation helped, but like, how did that, this realization affect you and your husband? How did that affect your relationship? Well, the first thing to remember is that he was so sick. I mean, he lost about 55 pounds in just a couple of months. He just was so ill. So there really wasn't an option. You know, I never, I always kind of knew from a young age that I was going to do something impactful. I just didn't really know what that was. And I just remember, again, seeing him and seeing him, you know, dying in front of me and being so scared and letting fear take over. And you just don't know what you're capable of until your back is against the wall, to be honest. And I just knew any day that he was going to lose his job. And I mean, he had totally 100% taken care of me for 11 years. And I now at this point, I don't know if I've said this yet, but at this point, I had a I had a two-year-old daughter. She had just turned two and I had six-week-old twin boys. So not only am I having to take care of myself for the first time in my life, I know my husband's going to lose his job any day because he can't work. And if you can't work, I mean, there's just, they, they, they can't just have you on because they like you, you know? And, but I now have to take care of this family of five. And so I just did everything. You know, I think what really happens when your back is against the wall is you're no longer really concerned about other people watching you fail. I think that's why so many people don't go after what they want is they are, it's not that they're scared of failure. They're scared of other people seeing them fail. But, you know, for me, I just was like, I couldn't even think about that. I just had to take care of my family. And so after, you know, Brian got better, 
And I, I was like, I actually kind of like this role better. Like I really enjoy working and, and everything. But it was also, I'll be honest with you, there was part of me that was, was resentful at the beginning. And was like, I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask for all this responsibility, you know, and all this. And and um, and so we had to kind of figure that out together. Like, wait a minute, what do what am I naturally really good at, and do I like? And what are you naturally really good at, and do you like? And let's just you know screw what everyone else says or what everyone else thinks, or who cares if you're the only man picking up the kids, at, you know, at school or whatever. Like, what is going to work for me and you that makes you and me. Uh, best because I do know in business, you know, when you hire people for their strengths, your business is better, right? And I just was able to kind of apply that to our family as well. Wow. Well, that is like, I think the ultimate perseverance is to take like a traumatic experience, like what you faced, obviously, and then pivot in a way that then benefits everybody. And what it sounds like is you probably meditated and came to this ideal, whether it was normal for certain genders or roles and figured it all out. But do you, like, how long did it take you to get to that point from when this trauma began and then you pivoted in terms of your roles within the dynamic? Well, very quickly, I was the sole provider. I mean, I would say one year after he got sick, I was the sole provider. And I ha- I now have been for five years. And But I'd, I'd say after the third year is when I really got comfortable and, you know, and was no longer resentful of it. I was like, no, this is <laughs> like if he came to me and said, oh, I've got it. I've got it all. Don't worry about it. You know, I would probably be sad. <laughs> I would want. So it was really about being really honest. Like, what do you want? And understanding, like I said, our, our individual roles and, and really not even looking at gender, but just being like, we're just human beings. Right. And I'm not trying to get all gender conversation right now, but it's just like, these aren't girl feelings and boy feelings. Like these are human feelings. So can we just like scrap the whole gender for a second and just be like, what do you feel most comfortable doing? What do I feel most comfortable doing? And how does that work, you know, uh, for us? And let's, because that's really all that matters. Yeah. We like that here. Jen and I are totally on the same page. And I feel like most people are, or coming into this, like it shouldn't have to be a male or female train of thought. Like right. it could all just be, why can't we all just want the same things? Why can't we right. all just work towards the same thing? Very well said. It's just a human thought or ideal. Like that's right. not something that we'd like to say is one or the other. I mean, I do think there are some gender role things that can and do stick, but for the most part, these big things like that, I feel are human nature sort of things that we should all just be able to relate and support each other on. Well, when it's related to skill and expertise and passion and things like that, like to your point, Jessica, like what you're good at may not be fall under any sort of classification. It might just be unique to you. And what's unique, like what I'm good at might be unique to me and what Lauren's good at might be unique to her. And so you rise to the occasion, I think. And that's probably where you got in terms of having to become the breadwinner and take care of your family and face all of these difficult obstacles that you were having to face without choosing to. So totally get the resentment there. But like, I'm sure that that resentment also comes with guilt because you're like, well, no one had a choice in this matter. And 
I mean, it's just so many emotions at once. The fact that you even were able to work, care for all the kids. Yeah. I don't even, six week old twins, six week old twins. Like to me, I'm like, how do you even do that alone? Like that alone to me is like, oh my gosh, I don't even understand how that's so overwhelming. How did you, I think communication though, I'm sure probably helped here and feeling like, Maybe if you're going to be the sole provider, okay, it's falling all on you, but you're still part of a team. You're still going to talk about this with your husband. You mentioned that you guys talked about it, knowing that this was coming and that you were going to be the sole provider. How did that then redefine your relationship? So now all of a sudden there's this big shift and you are now the sole provider. This can look different for everybody, but for you specifically, that's what it was. So how did you then redefine your relationship and everyone fell into these new roles and was it rocky? Was it weird? Did it just fit? Like, how was that? Well, we had been doing it because we had to, right? Because he was he was sick. So there wasn't like this, oh, I'm going to do this and let's talk about it. Like that really wasn't happening at that time. You know, I, I just, I just had, I did what I had to do. But I think, you know, once he started to feel better, he, he actually did get a job again. And when he was gone, I realized I couldn't do as much as I wanted to do work-wise. And I knew that I was capable of really doing some cool things with my job. I, I just knew that I could. And so at that point, I had a conversation with him and I said, if you love your job, then by all means, like I want you to stay and do it. But if you don't, like here's where I'm at. I want to work more. And so we're either going to have to hire someone to do, you know, all the other things to pick up the kids from school and to take them to their activities and, uh, you know, cleaning and laundry and dishes and all that kind of stuff. Or, you know, you do that for a couple more years while I really try to get my business off the, you know, to the next level. And, and he was really supportive of that. And what's interesting is now we live in Nashville and he, our, our boys just started kindergarten and he's, and Brian has been on a few job interviews because he really wants to work again. And I think, you know, after we, it's been wonderful for him to be home, you know, while we had the young, you know, the kids at home. But I also think that we've been through a lot of counseling, he and I, and we've come to a, to an agreement that you know, we are not in a codependent relationship, that we are two complete individual human beings and that I am my own person. I'm going to do what I want to do, what I need to do. And his job is to support me and vice versa. So uh, first is figuring out what you want and going after it. And then we build the bridge to figure out how to make that happen. So the only thing I said to him when he started interviewing is I said, don't, you know, don't take the first thing, like wait for something you love. We, we, we have the luxury of doing that. Right. So just when you find something that you absolutely love, take it. Yeah. I mean, that makes so much sense. And it also sounds like you did all the right things in terms of going to like counseling and really communicating. Oh, so much counseling. <laughs> That's yeah, great. Like, That's so know, good. Communicating where you're at, what you want, what you need in order to move forward because you're like kind of in a relationship with nine lives at this point where it was the person, you were married to the person that you first knew. Then he was this other person who was ill and you were 
a different person yourself. I'm sure that you also probably grew and changed during this process. And then now you're reconciling where you're both at. Do you think that during your sort of time where he was ill, you were triggered by previous traumas or were they completely separate traumas? Because we always talk about being triggered and sort of what the best process is in order to heal from those traumas and and do they set each other off? How can you look at them separately? But were you affected deeply from your first trauma where you were in the car accident when this started to happen? 100%. I mean, that trauma from my childhood has affected, you know, every day of my life, every decision that I've made. And so to, like I said, to, to see him doing so poorly, it just scared me to death. And I just thought, I can't, I can't do this again. You know, I can't, I can't live life being misunderstood or, or every day feeling like, someone is supposed to be here, but they're missing and, you know, all of that. And I did not want my children to have to grow up with that loss. Like I know how, I just know how tough that is, you know, to grow up, grow up your, your whole childhood and and into adulthood with, with that close of a loss. And I just couldn't imagine them losing their father. And so, yeah, it totally affected this one. I mean, they were kind of it just bled into it, to be honest. And and then, you know, after about a year and a half, I guess, of his illness is when I started going to therapy. And I just really, I mean, I've been going once a week ever since. <laughs> so it's been yeah. four years now. And I've just learned so much. And I think that I'm really able to change my perspective from feeling like all this happened to me to really knowing it happened for me. And also no longer viewing myself as a victim who survived, but a survivor who inspires. You know? That's so helpful the way you said that because the victim mentality is like a dangerous thing to fall into and it's scary. And it's but easy it, to fall into. And it's easy when it's something like that. When it's yes. like, oh, you've been cheated on by three boyfriends, like that's well, whatever, that sucks. But like after a while, you're kind of like, eh. right. I don't know. I mean, I don't mean to minimize that. It sucks. But like, this is easy when you're in a situation like you, the loss that you've dealt with, like that's really hard not to feel like a victim. Right. But totally to change that perspective and redefine like who you are is probably why you were so successful in doing what you're doing. And now I have a question. Did you, the childhood trauma, we've also like done whole shows on that and how they were, how they affect relationships. And you wouldn't even Mm -hmm. think that they do, but they totally do. So clearly that's like something that you believe as well. So did you, in the moment that your husband started getting sick and that was triggered, were you like, oh shoot, this is like a trauma for me? Or were you, I mean, I know it was always traumatic, but is that the moment where you're like, this childhood trauma has affected everything in my life and here it comes again? Or did you always know that it was affecting you? Because the reason why I'm asking is because I think our listeners need to know that these kind of things, even though you don't think they're like directly affecting your romantic relationships, they do. So the better and faster you kind of realize that childhood traumas are affecting your adult life, it's helpful to sort of work through and cope. But did you already know that at the time? Or were you like, oh my gosh, I'm like a mother and I'm married. And now I'm realizing that this is like a trauma that still affects me. No, no, no. I've I've known since I was three and a half that I have I hold trauma with me every day from that. And I think that that is a really important thing for your listeners to to know is that 
you know, my parents, when uh, my sister died, they were 29 and 33, right? And I was three and a half. And so everyone thinks that, oh, she's so young, she doesn't remember, this won't affect her, right? But when I gave birth to my daughter, Stella, when the nurses were over there, you know, measuring her head or, you know, giving her her bath or whatever, I got my phone out and put in my calendar an alarm for uh, three years, five months, and 24 days. Oh, wow. The exact age that I was when my sister died. Because I wanted to be able to like validate myself. I wanted to be able to look at her and say, yes, that little girl would have, would have been crushed, you know, by this loss. And sure enough, I remember the day that that alarm went off and she had these twin brothers that she played with all the time. And I thought, what if they weren't there? Like, what if they weren't there tomorrow? She would be completely lost. And so a big part of it is every, you know, day of my life, not every single day, but a whole lot of my life was people saying, I feel so bad for your parents. I can't believe your parents went through that, which I am not negating what my parents went through, but no one saw me. No one. I was 100% viewed as an only child and I wasn't. I was a second born child. So just things like that, right? And then my therapist had told me when my sister died, I grew emotionally a decade. And that made so much sense to me. Like that was such a big turning point for me when I when I heard him say that because just things I just didn't think the way my peers thought. They cared about things that I just did not care about. So I just thought I was just like this weird person that no one understood and that's not really how it was. I just had been through a very traumatic experience and so I thought differently, you know? That's so interesting. I think that it sort of hits the nail on the head with how I feel about um, grieving my father. I lost him almost four years ago. And mm, I'm sorry. Once, thank you. Once that happened, I felt like I would never relate to anyone again because mm-hmm. unless you've, it's a blessing and a curse because once yeah. you've experienced it, you sort of know how traumatic it's going to be moving forward. But then also, everything that I felt thereafter was scaled on a will this hurt me or won't this hurt me? And it gave me a lot of perspective in terms of what was important and what wasn't and what I have patience for and what I don't and how I want to spend my time and things. So it, you know, ignorance is bliss. But at the same time, I think that knowing the value of things maybe and also how you're deeply affected by the people in your life and how much you love and all of those things. I mean, it's just, it kind of makes things so much you know, heavier, but also more beautiful and bigger. And you understand how we're all connected in a much more clear way. Just like you said, like you were so young, yet it definitely affected you because how could it not? Even if you didn't wrap your head around it at, you know, three years of age and couldn't conceptualize what it meant at some point you did learn that, but you had to go through like so much growth as a developmental, you know, person. I mean, I, I'm I was 33 when it happened or 32, I don't know, math. But um <laughs> so I you know, I I wrapped my head around it because I also knew that it was coming and it wasn't an accident and I'm an adult and I understand loss happens especially at a certain age and cancer and that kind of thing. But to be a child and to have to like kind of go through the learning the rest of your life and then adapt to it and 
it's constantly reopening that wound, I'm sure, because like you said, people ask you about, I'm sure dating too. People ask really difficult questions that during dating, like, oh, do you have any siblings? And then you have to tell yeah. that story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've, oh, that's asked all the time. You know, you move into a new neighborhood or whatever. And the neighbor asks, I mean, just all, it's all the time. Constant I, reminder. Yeah. And I never, ever, ever say, oh, it's just me. And that, because that, that it isn't, and that feels wrong. And I'm not gonna, you know, um, I'm not gonna do that. And so, but I do want to say you had mentioned, um, maybe you can't totally, um, conceptualize, you know, what happened at such a young age. And I just want to say that you definitely know what has happened. You just don't have the language for it. Oh, to interesting. And that yeah. almost, you must have felt like trapped then because yeah, absolutely. you're trapped in your own body, like feeling mm-hmm. these emotions, but having no idea what to do with them. And then maybe feeling right. bad for crying because I could imagine maybe that's part of it too. Sometimes like not wanting to make other people feel bad. Once that, right. you know, there's probably so many different steps at every age of like yes, how it definitely. starts manifesting itself and how you're going to choose to like let it out or not. Right. Right. It's very how, true. How did you sort of you like heal. I mean, was there, I'm sure obviously it's an everyday thing, but you know, in order to, once you became old enough and I don't know, it's making, you're able to, it's obviously always made sense, but you're able to, you know, talk about it more or even just heal that way as you can grasp your emotions around and everything starts lining up. How did you feel like this loss sort of defined you and like who you were in relationships? Because if people are dealing with this kind of a thing and they're feeling like it might be affecting their personal or close relationships, do you have any tips about how somebody could sort of hold on to that and not turn it into something positive, but not let it affect them in their like personal close relationships negatively? Like maybe they have abandonment issues like you talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I think the first big thing is a lot of people are chasing happiness, right? And there's five core emotions: mad, glad, sad, hurt, afraid. Only one of those is positive. You know, the rest of them are not so positive. And the goal is not to chase happiness. The goal is to feel our feelings and for our feelings to teach us and guide us and lead us to the next, you know step on our journey, right? And I think that when we are able to be quiet and still and listen to the truth inside of us, I think that that we we just have it's not that the that the the grief never goes away, the sadness never goes away. You do learn how to live with it, but you also can start to see, at least for me, I'm able to look back and go, "You know what? Well, there's two things I'll say. The first one, is I'm able to look back and go, I can see how everything has aligned me to this point and how if that death had not happened, there is no telling who I would be or where I would be or what I would be doing. There's no telling. I I mean, my everyday decisions are are so often because of how my childhood was. I'm doing a really poor job explaining that, but it's it's just... It's kind of everything. It sounds like you're saying recognizing and owning the trauma that you're feeling is part of how you define yourself and can kind of reclaim yourself because you realize yes. that is 
why I am who I am. It's part of my everyday life. It actually could even connect me to some people. Maybe not, it doesn't always have to be used as that tool, but it can be that way sometimes if someone else has experienced a loss. It doesn't have to disconnect to those who haven't had that feeling, but it could, and and even if you, maybe you enter into a relationship where someone hasn't felt that loss, but you really realize, wow, they're really good at being there for me when I'm sad about this. And that could be a good thing. Oh, wow. I like that they're so um, empathetic or, but I think it sounds like claiming it and really recognizing how it has affected you in owning the sadness how did it happen for me? Like, can, can we, can we start to reframe it? Yeah. And just yeah. go, how can, how can, we're never going to be able to change it ever. And so what have we, have I learned from this and what are, what is the good that's come out? I mean, I would say I'm much more vulnerable than a lot of people. I think that I, like I said, not really afraid to fail in front of others, all these things, because I know to my core that life is short. I saw it right in front of me, you know? Um, and so I just think that, you know, my definition of success is very different, just so many things. And I just, I can't get that caught up in, in what the world wants of me. You know, I just, I have to listen to me and what, what I believe to be true. And I just think too, that there's some kind of, I've believed it since, since I was a child, that there's some kind of impact that, that I'm supposed to make. And I, I I honestly think the only way for that to happen is for me to be here physically and her to be here spiritually. I just have to believe that. And that is beautiful. And like definitely going back to what you were saying about the five emotions, the, the glad part, and it's sort of reframing something that's traumatic and being glad that it happened. You're obviously not celebrating the loss and you're not celebrating Absolutely. the trauma, yeah. but you're you have to celebrate who you've become because one, you didn't crumble and two, hopefully you're thriving or turning it into something that is beneficial to others. And so you've written this book. Who is this book for? Is it for everyone because they can relate on some level or is it for people that have experienced trauma? It really is for everyone. I don't mean to say that like that, but it it is available now. You can get it at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Audible, anywhere books are sold. But they, you know, when I read the reviews, people will often say, I can't, you know, while I can't relate to like your exact trauma, your feelings, just like you were saying earlier, like your feelings, I feel seen and heard and less alone because I've felt what you feel. Or, you know, there's a lot in there about marriage and about sex and about purity culture and, you know, all of this stuff. And that was another area where I was like, you know what? I just, I'm not going to believe this anymore, what I was taught. And I'm going to just figure this out on my own. And, you know, there's so many people that, that reach out to me and say, thank you so much for that, because that is where I am right now. Or I had a, I had a a young lady the other day ask me to lunch who just got married. She's a newlywed. She was so cute. She had all these questions and she was like, okay, what would you go back and tell yourself your first year of marriage and all this? And it's just, it's really beautiful to be able to to speak with people and and to really now come from a place of not, oh, I have to make money to like save my family, but really being able to come from a place of service and, and belief in abundance. You know, it's just such a better place to live. Well, it sounds, I mean, the... I love that it's for everybody. So remind all of our listeners, like just what the tie-in with the title is and then where they can find the book. So they at least can think about, oh yeah, like sleeping with a stranger. That's, we know what the book's about, but why the title? And then remind everyone where they can get it. 
Yeah, sleeping with a stranger. I, you know, I wrote that because I was, um, I was in bed and with my husband, and he he had a colon issue, so he had to go to the bathroom a lot, and he he had just lost fifty five pounds. He was naked because it was too much energy to like put clothes on and off. And so I was sitting in bed with my journal and the only light was my computer screen light. And I just remember looking over and he looked like an 80 year old man to me and we were 33. And I just remember thinking like, man, 10 years ago when we said those vows, like in sickness and in health, I didn't think we'd be doing that this young. You know, I didn't think that'd be happening right now. Um, and I just remember writing down in my journal, I feel like I'm sleeping with a stranger. And then I remember those words. They literally in my mind, the vision I saw, they came off the page and they turned like a highlighter yellow. And I just remember thinking, okay, well, one day I'm supposed to write about this and that's the title. And that's as far as I took it at that point, because we were, you know, only like six months into the illness at that point. It was a four-year journey. So, but I just had that in my back pocket of, well, if we ever share this story, that's the title. Wow. That's an incredible, incredible story. The whole story is incredible, but even just the beginning of that and the jumping off the page, everyone, you got to just be open and pay attention to things around you and your gut feelings and all those things, because that's how you can get these words to jump off the page like that for you, you know, and then your destiny is all of a sudden now you have this book and this wonderful story. So uh, thank you so much for sharing that with us and our listeners. And then remind everyone where they can find the book as well. Anywhere where books are sold, it's Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Audible. You can go to jessicazimmerman.com. I mean, wherever books are sold, you can go grab it. Amazon's obviously the easiest and it's paperback, hardcover, ebook, and audiobook. Well, thank you so much. And everyone, don't forget to tune in to It's Complicated, where we talk more dating and relationshipy stuff. And if you want to join the class of Master Daters, don't forget to follow us on social media at Complicated Show. And It's Complicated wherever you get your podcast, where you can rate, comment, and then obviously send it to a friend. That's right. And you can follow me at Lauren Leonelli on all the social meets. And you can follow me at Jennifer Golden on all the social meets. Love you long time. You're on a hot date with Jennifer Golden and Lauren Leonelli. And now, it's complicated.